All right, and we are live, guys. Welcome to Stacking Mondays. My name is Mirko. I'm the CEO of Stacking Awards, and today is my pleasure to be here with Stefan Rust from Trueflation and Trusted Note. He's the CEO of Trueflation, which is uh, one of the first to bring like inflation data and indexes on chain. Um, and he's also leading the Trusted Node, which is a non-custodial staking provider for over 12 proof of stake chains. Welcome, Stefan. It's great to have you. Thank you. Really glad to be here. And um, yeah, sort of, yeah, nice and looking forward to this. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, inflation, about staking. So stay with us, guys. Um, and yeah, we can jump right into it, actually. Um, I mean, like inflation and the, the development of consumer prices in general is like quite a hot, hot topic right now with like um, everything going up quite. Like when, when you founded Trueflation like a, a year ago around, right? Or like when you yep. started the project, um, would you have thought that the CPI goes that high? Yeah, I mean, I definitely knew it was going to go, come, right? I mean, we we saw it coming maybe more than that. Actually, maybe two to three years ago, I think when, you know, um, the governments would, were printing vast amounts of money while shutting down the economies, we just saw that the demand around the world was going to increase and there were going to be supply chain issues, ultimately resulting in price rises. Price rises equal to inflation. And so we just saw that and anticipated that. And did I think it would go into double digits? Yeah, we definitely thought it would go into double digits. If you look what's happening in Turkey, in Argentina, in Latin America, in other places, in emerging markets, um, they're living, they live year to year with 70, 80% inflation. And so I think we're actually entering into a phase where structurally, we're going to have more and more regular higher inflation and 2% is going to be a dream. I don't think that's a realistic approach anymore. I think for the next couple of years, we're going to see, you know, higher inflation rates above 5%. So you would also predict that for like the, the US economy and like the European economy or like, do you think like inflation will primarily still be an issue for like, um, like, yeah, let's say third world countries or like, yeah. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be an issue for third world countries, but I think also primarily for first world countries, right? Or developed markets, um, Europe, uh, US, I think we'll see higher inflation rates and I think it'll be structurally uh, embedded, right? We're looking at uh, at a from a supply chain perspective, the desire to become much more independent um, and less dependent uh, from supplies of others. We're still, how long does it take to build out energy plants, uh, nuclear power plants, solar plants, uh, and, and build it up to meet the demand of energy in a specific nation? That's, that's a couple of years away. Food supply, you know, all of the fertilization, um, you know, equipment and manufacturing capabilities has been put into real strong constraints, right? So it's really hard to actually build fertilization capabilities, number one, deliver that. And then there's all these mandates that you can't use specific fertilization capabilities. So food supply is also going to run into certain issues in the sort of future, near future. And by the way, Ukraine was one of the biggest manufacturers of fertilization capability. All right. And like besides that, do you like what was there like one single moment where you thought, okay, like 
um, we really need like um, independent censorship resistant like inflation data on chain kind of. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't one moment. I think it was, you know, I mean, if you look at the history of, of crypto, right, we were always about the religious underlying fundamentals were that the regulatory framework and the governing participants are highly aligned with and very tightly coupled with the monetary policy. So money and state were combined. And our mission was to try and separate the two and create a different body and an alternative, right? And, and Bitcoin, since its inception 2009 to today, now plays, a, or cryptocurrencies overall, now play a significant role in the decision-making process of any regulator around the world, number one. So we've come a long way in trying to slowly pull apart the state and the money, right? Um, and furthermore, the actual bodies that are reporting the state of an economy are governmental institutions. And so the governmental institutions are represented and a representation of the government. And so it's like going to school, writing your exam, doing an exam, and then re you know, reporting it and, and recording and giving yourself a grade. And so we felt that that is slightly not quite an accurate reflection of how a modern economy should work, right? We need independent reporting, independent tracking of the performance of an economy, not the same by the regulator. And especially when regulators were printing the, I mean, in the last three years, we've printed more than $30 trillion worldwide in terms of value. That's new money into the market. And the first statement is, oh, we can manage inflation, right? MMT, no problem, right? Modern money theory, we can pull money whenever we want. We're a monopoly. But actually, you're not a monopoly anymore because we have an alternative currency around the world. Um, so number one, number two is then it's transitory. Okay, so you've shifted from a new money, modern money theory to transitory. It's not transitory. And then ultimately, we just saw that this this is going to come, and and ultimately, we we bet correct, and and we saw it. Unfortunately, right? I mean, I don't like inflation. None of us like inflation because it hits your income and your purchasing power. Yeah, which no, but yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, it, in, in that sense, it is like some kind of independent oversight done um, on everything that's going on in the financial markets, which is uh, yeah. definitely something that is that's quite important for a decentralized system. Um, so you are, you're also like operating like trust and order staking provider. Um, do you see staking as a way like to or like as an alternative to protect against inflation, like even like the U.S. dollar inflation, or like how, how do you see like staking in that context? So I'm a big believer in cryptocurrencies being an inflation hedge and an interesting investment asset class, but I don't actually view it as an investment asset class. I use it, see it as a utility. And as such, in order to provide use the services or the infrastructure that the various blockchains are providing, I need those currencies. In order to do so, 
um, they also automatically represent a unique inflation hedge because ultimately they're appreciating in value very much like the gold is, right? Uh, but gold also has certain utility purposes, etc. But I do think that what I got upset about and why I really wanted to launch Trusted Node was to democratize the returns and the yield generating opportunities that staking rewards provided. Now, they're not in the 100%. I mean, in some cases, they may be in early stage and development of a network, but the actual networks are providing a reward for participants that are securing those blockchains. How do I and everybody that owns those coins get the rewards they deserve for securing those networks without any middlemen? And to me, that was really important. You saw a lot of the exchanges, a lot of the investment houses, a lot of the custodians taking all of that money for themselves and keeping that as an income and not passing that on to the relevant coin holders or owners, right? Because they were the custodian and the custodian can be an exchange. It can be a traditional custody provider, etc. And so how do we democratize that and make it available to everybody? And I think technology is an amazing source of enabling um, in, you know, inclusion and participation and, and, and the distribution for that participation. Yeah, definitely. That's that's one of the beauties of the permissionlessness. Um, so, um, like, so and and like looking like now immediately like with the merge happening on Wednesday, like a lot of people are saying like or like see Ethereum kind of as like a yield-bearing internet bond kind of. Um, do you agree yeah. with that opinion or like how how do you see like stake Ethereum like as an analogy to to bonds? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, if you look at crypto, everybody says crypto is highly leveraged and leveraged market. You know, I don't think crypto is very leveraged compared to the fiat world, right? I mean, there's not much leverage in crypto. And if you look around the fiat world, bonds are a very common product. And there's always a yield to the bond. What we love is seeing inflation-protected bonds. <laughs> so not only yield-bearing, but also inflation-protected, right? So how can we provide inflation-protected bonds or yield-bearing bonds, I think the more of those available will be really interesting, right? And I think Ethereum moving to proof-of-stake, you know, is, is really democratizing the participation and the securitization of the network. Um, it's moving from proof-of-work where you had to have, well, in Ethereum less so, um, pretty much anybody could set up a mining rig um, to mine new Ethereum coins. Um, but in a proof of stake now, all of a sudden, you've got fractional participation into validator nodes on the Ethereum network. You have um, you know, liquid staking on the Ethereum network. So there's been a lot of innovation around the staking exercise in this momentum to and drive towards proof of stake. Um, and I think, you know, that's why I love what Staking Rewards does, by the way. I got to say, Mirko, it's like really, you know, we did what the democratization of inflation information. But I think what you did around creating visibility and insight around where do I go to end, you know, to earn rewards on the coins that I own. Right. I think that's been a super challenging task the number of validators out there, the number of blockchains, uh, the rewards per blockchain, the commissions, 
all of that, I can go to Staking Rewards and I can see very quickly where to go and where to actually allocate my atoms, my Ethereum, my Cardanos, my, my Solanas, etc. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, really, really appreciate it. Um, it's definitely a big challenge. Um, we, we try our best there. Um, and so you already mentioned like some of the use cases of truthflation actually, or like the truthflation indexes, um, which is like, for example, like inflation protected bonds. Yeah. Um, like, can you describe like how do the truthflation indexes work exactly? And like, how is the Chainlink Oracle integrated there? Um, and like, what is the methodology behind it kind of? So we, I mean, well, it, um, we started off really, man, I, I, you know, um, aggregating um, different price points, right? So we now track 18 million items on a daily basis uh, from about 40 to 50 different sources. Um, and the sources include like websites from McDonald's to Amazon. Um, we aggregators from like um, uh, Twilio, Trulia, uh, Zillow, um, and then going into sort of more established data providers and aggregators for grocery foods like Nielsen or Auto Information. We go to Kelly Blue Book. So we actually aggregate from a large pool of different providers. Um, we then aggregate that into uh, and put that on the blockchain. At the moment, we're still sort of centralizing some of the funnel, but that ultimately goes onto a decentralized ledger. Um, and is updated daily on that ledger. Um, and, and yeah, so that's how we do that. We work, uh, we make that available on four different blockchains. Um, and so the Ethereum, Big Binance, Polygon, and, and Avalanche, so that any smart contract developer can discover what indexes we have. We started off with just inflation data. And we didn't have that amount of data that we start that we have today. And I mentioned earlier, um, and we realized that inflation consists of a number of different categories, as, as you would guess. And so we created a number of sub indexes associated with that. So we now have the real estate index, the transportation index, uh, the food index, utility, entertainment. So those all represent indexes and that deviate and, and actually compile together to become the CPI. Um, what we're trying to do next is then build out individual calculators. Your spending is going to be different to my spending. I may spend more in transportation. You may spend more in your household and, and you're cooking on your own, for example. And so food matters more to you, whereas for me, dining matters more because I travel more, for example. And so how does that deviate? How can I look at what my inflation is versus your inflation versus Jack and Jill and Jane's inflation, right? And so those are sort of some of the innovations that we're trying to deploy and allow integrations with your investment calculator, your expense manager, your um, as a business, as well as an individual, right? So Expensify, can we aggregate data from Expensify into there to see how a business is suffering inflation and driving and what do they need to do to make up in terms of margin for the inflation and the purchasing power that they're losing. Yeah, yeah. Do you actually take into consideration, like, for example, like the, the new iPhone 14 just got released and like, obviously, like, 
they get more expensive like every year, right? Um, but they're also adding a lot of technology to it. So like how, how does something like the, the iPhone price um, feed into like CPI data in general? So one thing that I've noticed is that if it weren't for technology, to be honest, inflation would be much higher. Technology has brought down the cost of everything we do. Um, and across the board in, 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 you know, in, in parallel, because, you know, I don't need to buy with thanks to the iPhone. I have a camera here, so I don't need to buy another camera. So the price, look at the sales of cameras. They go down like this whilst the phone sales go up. Right. You know, I have a wallet in here now, too. So I don't need another wallet. I don't have a wallet, so I don't know. But I don't have, you know, I, have, I don't need much cash anymore. Right. So, you know, that, that's all I need. So this is all I have. Um, and so ultimately, by adding all of these features in here, you're taking away other parts of expenditure. And so ultimately, that overall drives down. So the incremental cost for having this new camera in here and not buying a new camera would have cost me, I don't know, let's say a thousand US dollars, whereas this phone with the camera function only adds a hundred dollars. So it's a 10 percent you know, of the actual pay I would do. So overall, technology is definitely bringing down um, the inflation rate significantly. Um, and you can see that across the board, e-commerce, mm -hmm. delivery, supply chain, you know, everything is getting cheaper um, as we automate a lot more. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Very interesting. Um, but everybody fears yeah. technology. Everybody thinks that, oh, oh, we're going to lose jobs. We're going to lose jobs. No, it doesn't mean you lose jobs. We're replacing jobs. We're creating new jobs. Look how important today it is to have a video editor, a video editing suite, uh, audio mixer, right? All of these new products that have been innovated and built around this new economy, growth marketing, distribution, et cetera, right? All of those are new talents that are required in this industry. And the change isn't happening fast enough so that all of this requirements of new jobs there's not enough supply for candidates and, and talent, whereas we're still stuck with a lot of the old jobs. So how and the government's responsibility should be working on retraining, on converting, on driving the change, on making it positive to change. Right. And, and instead, they're there trying to hold on to the old ways and, and really sort of make it really scary that, oh, if we change, it's going to be so upsetting for everybody and it's going to be a disaster, right? But And actually, it's positive. Yeah, definitely. In the end, it's just like shifting from one to another. And that's how it is with any like innovation and technology. Like there's, um, it uh, destroys a few things, but it creates new things on the other side. Um, and... Cool. So, like, staying with the with the uh, Trueflation indexes, like, do you already have like any integrations for it, or like any projects building on top of that? Um, maybe you can give like some some examples there of like whatever DeFi applications or ideas or anything that is already working with the inflation indexes. Yeah. So we we did a hackathon sort of earlier this year, and we're doing another one later this year together with Chainlink. Uh, so we partner very closely with Chainlink and. Um, we did the we had 40 companies building on top of trueflation which to me was like wow i mean amazing um and so we had products like ibond they were doing um inflation protected uh, bonds really if you will 
We had Inflotto out of Venezuela, really good entrepreneurial team out there. They're doing a lottery based on multiple indexes that we have to be able to then bet and buy what is and they build out pools and then they pass out the rewards to all the people buying the lottery tickets. Um, and the lottery tickets are an NFT. So they've coupled that together. So it's really good. We have a project called wages.wtf. They're creating dynamic NFTs that are changing based on the inflation information. They do the minting based on how big, uh, uh, how large inflation is. Um, and their whole concept is that the people that are impacted by inflation the most are people earning wages, hence wages. Um, and then they have ascending. So the more you participate, the more you evolve into from a wagey into a more successful entrepreneur, maybe. So it's actually a really interesting concept in terms of how they've taken inflation information and, and built out and gamified it. The other one is stable coins, right? So we're moving away from this concept of stable coins pegged to the US dollar to stable coins, flat coins, as we call them, pegged. So they're flat to your purchasing power, right? So how do we protect the purchasing power of individuals and how do we peg a coin to that basket of items that you're purchasing? So we call that flat coin. There's a really cool product called Nuon um, that we've sort of incubated, but there's another product called Miner Token that is also launched trying to do something similar. Um, Ampleforth is also trying to do something with inflation. Frax is doing something with inflation, trying to build their FPI. So there's a bit of a group there trying to build out more flat coins that rather than peg to a single currency that's denominated in a fiat, is to peg it to a basket of items and then protect your purchasing power associated with that. How, how would that actually work with like a, a stable coin being pegged to like the the US dollar and then like before inflation kind of? Um, because like for most stable coins, like they're fully collateralized. Yeah. Um, and obviously like the, the value or like you would receive more coins then for less collateral. Like how, how would that work exactly? So there is... Um... So you still have, so, I mean, every coin has a different model, right? So Ampleforth have their own model, which um, is, is very innovative. Frax has fractional reserves or fractional collateralization. Um, and, and Nuon is over collateralized, right? So they take much more of the MakerDAO model. Um, and Miner Token is using gold as its backing, right? So they actually, a, a physical mining company that's actually going into stable coins and using their mining assets. Um, but so in essence, what you one of the things is if I have a, a flat coin and that flat coin is US dollar plus inflation and we have inflation at the end of the year, at one year, let's say 10 inflation has averaged 10% over the course of that year, that nuon or that stable coin would be $1.10 in theory, which means that the outstanding asset is larger, has grown significantly versus my collateral. So what do I do about my collateral and how do I make up that 10% in my collateral? And there are a number of ways of doing that. One is obviously yield farming, there's fees from the treasury. Every time you mint and you burn, then ultimately those fees get allocated and distributed to the collateral providers, as well as then LP rewards, right? So providing uh, liquidity to an automated market making 
facility provides rewards, and then that gets distributed to collateral holders as well. All right. Yeah. No, that's cool. So the the idea is to like make up for that like missing like collateral um, by by some other form of yield. Yeah. Um, to account for I mean, it. That makes sense. Um, I mean, the bigger the bigger bigger scenario there happens is unlike traditional staking uh, or validation staking. This is sort of um, you do run the risk that over time we do have and we've experienced this like three or four times now where the value of the crypto asset, which is used as collateral, has the potential to drop 90% in the course of two to three days, right? What happens then and how does that peg? Ultimately, that leads to, unfortunately, liquidations a lot of the times, um, which then results in, in, in yeah, uh, uh, just that situation that it's unfortunate. But if it's over collateralized, or largely collateralized, you have a certain hedge. Um, and there is, again, very little leverage in the system. And ultimately, it fixes itself out very quickly. It's painful for the individuals, but ultimately, uh, for the system and for the whole ecosystem, it actually is, is pretty healthy. Yeah, yeah. Cool, that makes sense. And then, um, like, like, so you also with Trusted Node, of course, like you're a staking provider yourself. Um, and you validate on like over 12 networks, I believe. Like, um, how do you like, what do you think makes a good validator in the, in the crypto ecosystem? And like, how do you contribute to that? So there were, I mean, yeah, I mean, in theory, you know, I mean, I think you do good reports in terms of what's happening and, and what, what people make decisions on. And I think, you know, they look at what the reward yields are what the um, commission is in terms of how much I'm charged for the against the yield. Um, those are two important factors. But I think the third factor is really trust. And so how do I build trust? If I'm going to delegate my coins to a validator that I don't get rug pulled, that, they're, that there's some scam going on. or And so ultimately, how do you look at that? Number one, is how much TVL is in there. So how much do they have value locked up? Is the team doxed? And is the, is the user experience really good? Is it non-custodial? I think those are really important asset elements to it. And then ultimately, the bigger your risk appetite, the bigger desire you will have as features, right? Um, one of the features is liquid staking, which has been really popular, where I can delegate and, and have my coins earning the rewards, but I get a liquid token associated representing my coins that I have validated, staked as a validator. Um, and then I can go and trade those and participate in DeFi. So you can earn double on the assets that you have. That's been a very popular feature. And, and you see that with Lido, with Rocket Pool and, 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 and validators like that, that Anchor, that have done pretty well associated with that. More and more, Features like transaction record, records, right? So people are going to need from a tax perspective in certain countries, how much have I staked? How much have I earned? How much did I claim? Did I actually you know, get a profit as a result out of that? How long did I stake it for? Certain countries, if you stake it for longer than X period of time, you get a tax credit for that, things like that. And so that is going to become a really important part of it. For us, user experience is really important. Um, you have multiple coins 
multiple wallets associated with that coin, and then multiple assets that you're staking across different blockchains. How do I build one user interface that gives me a good overview of everything? So similar to what DBank does or Instadap or Xerion around your DeFi coins and allocations across EVMs, how do we do that across the different blockchains in your validation staking assets? Yeah. No, that's that's a great point. And so you are are you working yourself on like liquid staking as well? Um, is that something that you are considering? And like how like how would you contribute on that side? Yeah, I mean, so we have a team now um, dedicated to really building out Trusted Node. They're going through a big revamp. We've been working on liquid staking. Um, unfortunately, we did a lot of liquid staking on the Terra chain. Um, and, and that, that sort of has gone through a big change. Uh, so we had to pivot significantly. Um, but Ethereum is going to represent a really good opportunity. So we'll be providing some uh, liquid staking capabilities on Ethereum. Um, but to me, that's, that's really, again, it's capital efficiency, right? So I can earn the coins I want and then be able to participate in DeFi opportunities. Ultimately, if you look at some of the collaterals hubs that are out there for some of the lending protocols um, or even some of these flat coins, how can some of the rewards and some of the liquid tokens be made available as assets into these collateral hubs to mint new flat coins? And I think that's one of the things that we see as very interesting because the assets ultimately are very secure. The income is very stable. You can predict that. And so, They're, I mean, yeah, they're very uh, attractive assets to go into a collateral hub. But yeah, definitely. You, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think yeah. stake assets are like a perfect collateral for like flat coins, inflation hedge stable coins, where you just like all the all the rewards received, you sell them to like um, make up like the the other collateral. So that's actually like a um, yeah, a very solid point. And so if I understand correctly, you also have a, you launched a DAO for Trusted Node, right? Um, yes. You have the T-Node token. Um, like how, how does the DAO work around the validator service? And like, is there some profit sharing or like, um, what are like, what's the economics behind the, the DAO? So there's profit sharing, but also there's participation. So um, the T-Node token holders can vote or ask for Trusted Node to vote on their behalf on specific issues related to the underlying 12 blockchains that we talked about earlier. Um, and so I, as a T-Node holder, I'm interested in seeing you know, this blockchain and this voting issue go this direction. And so I vote through T-Node to represent me at, on, on the, or the community overall in this direction. So it's a proxy service, if you will, uh, for voting on behalf of the users. Uh, ultimately, yeah, there's a reward service, there's fee services, um, and, and we're developing a couple of other things that we'll be announcing maybe on the 9th of, of November at, at, at the Staking Rewards event. <laughs> That would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, for everyone listening, like um, we'll be holding a, a Staking Summit on 8th of November. Um, make sure to, to check out the information. We'll also link uh, down below here. Um, and yeah, I mean, like 
Thank you so much for the episode, Stefan. I think it was like we had great insights today um, into yeah. everything you're working on. Like, how can how can the audience um, follow what's uh, what's new with Trueflation and Trusted Node and everything? Like, what's the best way to to stay on top of things? So Twitter is so for Trueflation. Go to Twitter, True T R U Flation. Um, and you'll, you'll follow us there. You get lots of updates. The community is super active. Um, lots of smart people talking about inflation data. You can follow me, my handle, you know, srust99, S-R-U-S-T-99. Um, and then for Trusted Node, the Telegram group is really active. There are about 15,000 participants in the tele Telegram group. Um, and they're super active talking about you know, new, new nodes, uh, new chains coming up, uh, new rewards, new voting opportunities on some of those chains, um, et cetera. So those would be the sort of areas that I would recommend following. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, go check it out, guys. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Stefan. It was an amazing episode. Um, Thank you. For everyone uh, watching, please hit the like button. Uh, make sure to subscribe if you don't want to uh, miss the next episodes. We're going live every Monday. Um, check out previous episodes of Staking Mondays uh, on YouTube and Spotify. And uh, just drop in the comments like what you think about um, the, the inflation indexes. Let us know um, if you have any ideas, any, any comments, or like anyone you would like to see next on Staking Mondays too. Um, and then for Stefan and the audience, I'm Mirko, as always, happy staking. Thank you, Mirko. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, and yeah, looking forward to seeing you in person at the Staking Summit in, in Lisbon. Awesome. Let's do this. Thank you.